A unique but important position in a British parliamentary round is the whip speaker, who is essentially the speaker who whips the debate together, or in other words, summarizes the debate at the end of the round. So hey everyone, welcome to the Debate 101 series of This House Wood. I'm Nicole Chu. And I'm Noah Pino. So today we'll be talking about what exactly whip speeches are, and also what are the different ways to format your whip speech. Great. So I think the best place to start is just to define whip speeches and what makes them so different. So this is a pretty similar review to what we talked about for the introduction to British parliamentary, but essentially they are a summary speech. So they're the last two speeches of the debate. They are also very similar to replies in Canadian parliamentary. Um, it is the only speeches that can't offer new material. And the aim is to show why your partner won. This is really important in British parliamentary, though. You are trying to show why your partner won and not your side, which means that when you are whipping, you should be whipping your partner, not whipping government bench or whipping opposition bench. So how would you organize your whip speeches then? So there are kind of like two, two and a half, three ways to organize whip speeches. So I'll go over some of the strategies and just loosely what I think are the advantages or disadvantages for them. The first one is something that has become really, really common in the last couple of years, and it is called team by team. So team by team is basically where the way that you organize your speech is you compare your team to each of the other three teams in the round. So your themes would be like, you know, how we compare to closing opposition, how we compare to opening opposition, and lastly, how we compare to our own opening government. And this is something that is, I think, really popular because it's super easy and safe. You can basically have your themes decided from before you even enter the room. You always will have three, which is really handy. Sometimes two if backup is really similar, but that honestly looks good for you. So that's something that I guess, you know, it's always something available. You always will have three teams to compare to and it's very explicit because you're just comparing to literally what they said. However, I don't really like this strategy. I know it's really popular. And I know like even really good debaters will do this even in like open finals of serious tournaments. But I just don't like it. I feel like it's the bare minimum. Because all it does is accomplish the minimum function of a whip speech, which is comparing to other teams. But it doesn't really like help you organize the actual arguments of the debate into themes, into questions, into anything that's more digestible. So in my in my mind, this is like this is this should be your backup, or it should be like what you do when you're learning to kind of get a feel for whip speeches. But it's not, in my opinion, the optimal way to organize your whip speech. There's Another way that I think is a lot more effective, and they're sometimes divided into two. So the next option would be themes. Themes are basically overall summaries of clashes in the round. So ideas that were engaged with on both sides for a good portion of the round. So themes can often revolve around things like stakeholders. So people that are affected in the debate or like how different groups are impacted in different ways. You could also organize it around different types of impacts. So your round might better reflect having different fields of study, different fields of engagement, such as economics, 
the environment, feminism, and that's another approach. But basically, it's kind of the same approach because one of them is centered around stakeholders. The other one is centered on the type of impacts. You can also do something called questions. Questions are like themes. They're sometimes the same thing or people count them as the same thing. Uh, but questions are often better for highlighting burdens in the round. And because of that, they're often better on narrower rounds where there aren't as many stakeholders or types of impacts in the debate. However, they're largely the same approach because the best themes will be expressed in some kind of question and the best questions will reference a type of issue or a type of group that's affected. So what are some examples of themes and questions that you've used before? And also, when exactly would you use, say, like a theme versus a question? Hmm. So I'm going to try to think carefully about how I express this because I'm not normally a whip speaker. So I'm not the best at like labeling my themes or questions, but themes will often highlight the common accepted issue in the round. So that could be, or like the series of commonly accepted issues. So for example, in a round about universal basic income, in that round, the obvious impacts are going to be economic for the most part. So you might have some social impacts as well, but it's most likely that in this house would influence a universal basic income that you're going to want to organize your themes around stakeholders. So your stakeholders could be firstly, like more broadly impoverished people. You could also look at the middle class. And then you might want to talk about groups such as how does this affect women? Is UBI particularly useful for women or does it actually disadvantage them compared to traditional welfare? So that's an example of breaking it into stakeholders. However, you could also take a motion such as there's a really common motion on the high school circuit right now about bailing out Alberta oil. So in that debate, you could very easily separate it into impacts. You could talk about indigenous issues. You could talk about how it affects the economy and you could talk about how it affects the environment. Indigenous issues is kind of also a stakeholder. So you can see how it kind of blurs the lines there. But in either case, you're basically separating the debate into ways to interpret very large amounts of arguments. Questions, on the other hand, will focus on burdens. Usually. I put usually there because, again, you can phrase them similarly. But I find that because they focus on burdens, they're usually better for rounds that don't have a lot of stakeholders or types of impacts. So there's a very heavy contestation of a small group of clash. So it's often the same idea that's refuted from PM all the way down to OpWhip. But would you say that team-by-team team whip speeches are easier to engage with all of the arguments? So Because you're not trying to categorize all of the different arguments and all of the different clashes into particular themes, but rather going more one-by-one, one, more chronologically. So would you say it's easier to engage... Or would you still say, no, I don't like it? <laughs> mm, yeah, so like, it is easier. So I guess the way, this is the way that I always explain it to people who are like trying to figure out whip speeches is like, team by team will do the bare minimum. But that means that you will never do less than the bare minimum. So if you did themes, it's very, it's more than possible that you could like, totally miss comparing yourself to your front half. To totally miss comparing yourself to 
your opening opposition versus your closing opposition and not distinguishing between them. But if you are just like intentional about doing that within your themes, you can get so much more out of themes because themes will actually tell the judge how they should group arguments, um, which arguments are supposed to clash with each other. And this is the real best part is that you can actually use themes to cover a comparison between more than two teams. So for example, you could show how your partner's argument is the better way to solve opening opposition's problem instead of opening government. If you just compare to each team one by one, you can't highlight that. You can't highlight that you're part of a conversation between more than just one other team. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense then. So how would you create themes? Like, where would you start? So the core of a theme is any idea that bounces back and forth for a lot of the debate. So anything like that that you identify could be a theme. One thing that I often find is that normally after the prime minister and leader of opposition speech, you can usually already come up with a theme because it's very likely that there is one thing that they both talk about, at least. So that's something to keep in mind and to maybe try to practice so that you always have at least one theme to start working on as you focus on the rest of the round. But what you want to do to come up with a theme that is convincing is start by narrowing down what the common point actually is. So this is why I think that themes are actually a lot simpler than people realize at first and really effective because it's quite easy to narrow down a common point such as a stakeholder or maybe like an economic impact that both teams talk about. So all a theme has to do is first identify what that common point is. What is the thing that both teams are talking about? From there, you want to try and you know give it like a fancy title like you would with your argument to explain what you're going to analyze about it. Like who better helps this stakeholder? Which team is more successful at improving the stability of the economy? These are types of questions you can ask about the impact or the stakeholder, but it all starts with the really, I think, like the pretty straightforward task of just identifying what that common point is. From there, you can spend time generating the theme, but start with that common point. Your themes can also just be if teams met their burdens, and these are usually what questions end up being. So I'm going to give like, this is like, I guess, like a hack, like a hack sounds like it's something really impressive, but something that you can use in a lot of this house would ban motions in almost all this house would ban motions. The questions are the, like, is this necessary? Is this justified? And does this fix the problem? Will almost always be related to the motion. And these are all the burdens that government naturally has. So if government is going to ban something, they have to show that the ban is necessary so that they couldn't do a softer version like regulating. They have to show that it's justified so that the consequences or drawbacks of banning it don't outweigh the benefits. And thirdly, they have to prove that the ban actually successfully addresses the problem. So it doesn't create like a black market or people going to a different industry or a different product to have the same outcome. So in this house would ban motions, uh, you pretty much always have three questions you can ask. And it doesn't matter like what you're banning, who the stakeholders are, what the impacts are, uh, because these address the fundamental burdens that the motion assigns. The nice thing about that as well 
It also means that in prep, if you're worried and you're whip speaker and you want to make sure you have something to talk about, you can always look at the motion to try and figure out what burdens there are that you could talk about that you might have to discuss. So anytime there's a this has regrets motion, you have to show that the alternative would have been better. So your theme can always be, what is the alternative? That's an example of using the motion and the burdens of the motion to generate themes as opposed to focusing on the stakeholder or impact. But either one, or actually even a mix, can be really effective. So in BP, though, I know that for whip speakers, you're trying to highlight the extension speaker, essentially, trying to highlight the extension points. So how exactly are you able to do that? So I generally find that there are two strategies to best do this. So one of them is where you show that your partner's extension is the best answer to all of the themes. This is something that I find usually helps if your partner ran multiple extensions, or alternatively, if your extension is somewhat similar to your front half. So for example, if you are giving an extension that is explaining why government's points are actually true, but you know all of the impacts are still in your opening government, This is a debate where you would really want to highlight how your analysis is the winning analysis of that argument. So it's a really good way to actually like kind of rope in your front half into the argument, but just show that you're the better version of that team. The other way you could do, and this one I find is usually more useful when your point is very different, when you don't have to worry about showing that you're not derivative, is show why your theme is actually the most important. So if you think about it, if you were doing team by team, you would compare yourself to your opening and say why your stakeholder, your impact is more important than the ones that your front half talked about. So you could do the same thing even with themes, because if your partner is the only person in the room to talk about feminism, you can talk about why this debate is actually really about feminism, about why that is the thing that is the most affected by the motion, that is the most vulnerable group, These are all ways that you could compare yourself to your front half. So essentially, your themes could group the whole debate and show your partner as the highlight in all of them. Or you could like have three themes, but you really want to focus on one the most because that's the most important one because that's the one your partner talked about. So essentially for themes then, after coming up with, say, your two or three themes, then do you essentially slot in all of your points and your opponent's points within the themes then? Such as like going about it by saying, I said this or we said this and then side opposition said this. And because we refuted in this way, our point still stands. Would it sound something like that? Yeah, so... Um, depending on what argument you're analyzing, it could actually end up very similar to rebuilding. So you want to show why your point still stands, why it's still important, but remember that you're weighing the whole debate. So you do want to conclude by comparing to the debate overall. In a lot of cases, it will be very similar to the formula of rebuilding. Here's what we said. Here's what they said. Here's what we said is better. However, the other way that you could also interact with the debate, and this is really useful for front half, is you could kind of talk about the front half clash and talk about what the issue in the clash is that appears there. So for example, you could say that neither opening government nor opening opposition 
prove why their mechanism is more likely to happen, right? So if they're arguing, oh, well, this person would totally do this in this circumstance, an opening opposition is like, no, they totally do the opposite thing. But neither one of them really weighs which one is more likely. You could say, my partner is the one that breaks that deadlock. They're the one that actually says which one is more likely and why. So in essence, for whip speeches, essentially you're just saying what prime minister has said, or in general, what front half has said, and then bringing up why your extension speech is essentially the best or the most important of all, right? Is that... Exactly. That's, a, that's one of the perks of themes, is that you have the ability to talk about front half and put yourself in that conversation instead of comparing yourself to each individual team. Awesome. I think that's a great way to end. Uh, thank you for joining us for Debate 101. Stay tuned for more on This House Wood. Please follow our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and our Instagram at THW Debate Podcast. Thank you.